12 sermons in this series that we've titled Activate. And our goal in this study is that we would learn to put our faith into action. That word activate is, is the name of this youth group. We, we've, this, this sermon is revolving around the entire purpose that we named this youth group with. And, and I hope that we are regularly confronted with the reality that so many of us experience. And that is that we believe the gospel, and yet so often we don't see that faith turning into works. So often we don't see our faith activated. That term activate means to take something from a, from a state of dormancy to a state of activity. To cause something to go from not moving to moving. To bring something from dead to alive. And the burden in this study and my burden for this group as a whole is that your faith would be activated, that that it would not be dormant, that it would not be dead, but that that faith would, would be alive and produce life and produce works and produce actions that testify to your internal faith. We need to see our faith activated. This study existed for the purpose of accomplishing and informing us in how to accomplish that goal. So tonight we're going to conclude this study and we're going to do it by reviewing everything that we've talked about over the past 12 sermons. So you have a handout that covers really the primary point of every sermon that was preached in this study. So we're going to see a whole bunch of uh, content that we've already talked about. This is for the purpose of getting the big picture, the full picture of everything that we've talked about. If there were sermons that you missed, always remember we, we put all of our sermons online on the MRBC website. So if you ever miss something and you want to go back and hear, if you hear something tonight and you're like, I need to hear a lot more explanation on what he's talking about there, go back and listen to the sermons. They're all there. We put them on there for that purpose. So um, tonight we want to review the truths that we've talked about for several weeks. We started this with a warning and it's a really fundamental warning that every believer must understand. We must be wary of belief that is separated from a life that has changed. We must, as believers, be wary, have our guard up, be concerned. When we see belief in our life, when we believe the truths of the gospel, but that our life is not changed by it. In other words, if you say, I believe the gospel, I'm a Christian, but nothing in your life testifies to you being a Christian, that should cause concern. You should be wary if that is the case. We came into this study out of the gospel of John, and we actually had the exact opposite concern in the gospel of John. We said, we want to be careful that we don't have a whole bunch of religious activity that's separated from genuine belief. But now in this study, we said we need to be careful that there's not belief, but not genuine belief. There's belief on some level, but it's separated from a life that has changed. Why must we be so careful if our life is not changed by what we claim to believe? That answer is found in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 22 We read, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed. 
The picture that James paints for us is that the true believer is not just a hearer of the gospel, but a doer of the gospel. And so we must be concerned if there is belief, if there is hearing, if there is agreeing, but not change, not doing. That must produce concern in our life. One of the early principles that we pulled in this study is taken from this text, and it's something that we realize from this principle. That is that appreciation without application is self-deception. Appreciation without application is self-deception. If you hear the word and agree with the word and like the word, you like the gospel, you think it's great, but you don't actually do the word, you, you take what Christ offers but don't do what he says, then you are someone who appreciates truth, but you don't apply truth. And if you appreciate truth without applying truth, what James chapter 1 says is that you're deceiving yourself. You're in self-deception. You're acting. Actively lying to yourself, and then you're believing the lie that you tell yourself, is what James tells us. Appreciation without application is self-deception. James' message centers on one truth, and we found this as a launching point for this. Be careful. Try to get this all. Faith works. Faith works. Those two words are fundamental to what James is saying. They're fundamental to the Christian life. And they're fundamental to the study that we've been in for the, fa- for the past 12 weeks. Faith works. Now, I've probably said that a thousand times as we've preached this. But I'm concerned even now that some of you might not really understand that statement. When I say faith works, what I mean is that faith does things. Faith is active. Faith is not exclusively internal. No, faith produces fruit. Other people can see your faith from a distance. It's visible because your faith works itself out in your life. Faith works. Well, James talks about that in the next chapter. Turn over to James chapter 2, verse 17. He says, even so, if, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. In other words, if your faith doesn't have works, it's not real faith. It's dead faith. It's it's not genuine faith. It's not true faith. It's not saving faith because saving faith works. James makes an argument in here. He says, you say you have faith? Show me faith without works. It's an interesting challenge because it's impossible. It's impossible to show someone something without doing it. You have to be able to perform the action to prove that the claim is true. So, for example, uh, loved watching Usain Bolt a couple years ago. How many years ago? I don't know how many years ago that was. Fastest man alive, right? That dude could fly. Known as the fastest man on the planet. How do we know that that dude is actually the fastest man on the planet? Like, he's just the ones that were timed. Like, no one ever timed me. Nobody knows how fast I am. So, like, I can be here and be like, how do you know he's the fastest? I think I'm the fastest. Well, to support that claim, I'd have to run, right? We'd have to show it. I can't be like, I'm the fastest. I'm just going to sit back, though. You have to take my word for it. And from henceforth, call me the fastest man on the earth. You, you have to be able to back it up with something. Usain Bolt is considered the fastest man in the world because he has the fastest time in the 100 meter ever. To claim faith, there must be works. 
that testify that you are actually a genuine believer. And so James says, faith without works is dead. We found this principle as we studied this text. Saving faith is always accompanied by supporting works. Those words are very important. Saving faith, it's your faith that saves you, always has supporting works. The works don't save you. There's no such thing as saving works. No, they're saving faith, but it's always accompanied by supporting works. Now, we saw this evidence in Hebrews chapter 11. We turn, turn over there. It's, it's just one book back, just a few pages. Hebrews chapter 11 is a, is a chapter that talks about heroes of the faith. And all of the great actions that they did thousands of years back. But every one of them is marked initially in every verse by faith. Look at the first words of verse 3. By faith. First words of verse 4. By faith. 5. By faith. 7. By faith. Noah. 8. By faith. Abraham. 11. By faith. Even Sarah. 13. All of these died in faith. 17, by faith, Abraham. 20, by faith, Isaac. 21, by faith, Jacob. All of these, it goes on and on. All of them, for their great deeds, are marked by their faith. Because their faith works. Look at verse 39 of Hebrews chapter 11. And all of these, all of these that are listed in these chapters, having gained approval through their faith, All of these gained approval from God, not because of the great things that they did. They gained approval by God because of their faith. But we know about their faith because of the great things that they did. In other words, what we saw in this chapter is that bold decisions of faithfulness mark you as approved by God. Bold decisions of faithfulness, like the ones that describe the people in Hebrews chapter 11, those marked them as God's people, as one who is approved by God, because their faith worked. Faith works. Faith works. It's true always and forever. Faith works. That then leads to a fundamental question. And it's the question that we launched into for the rest of our study. Knowing that faith works, what do I do if my faith isn't being put into action? What do I do? I'm not seeing my faith work itself out in my life. How do I respond to that? Well, we answered that question Three ways. We, we, we looked at this. Three causes to examine when my faith doesn't work. There's three causes that I need to look at when my faith isn't turning into action. What do I do? I would suggest to you that you need to do all of these three things. You need to examine all of these three things. Number one, perhaps your soul is lost. One potential cause for your faith not working is that your faith isn't real. Number two, Your theology could be incomplete. Perhaps your faith isn't working because you have a misunderstanding of how faith is supposed to work and how sanctification works and how you're made more like Christ. All of that is your faith working out. Maybe you misunderstand that, and because you misunderstand that, you're misapplying some of the things that you're supposed to do. There's another one. 
And this one is true for every one of us. A third cause to examine is that your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. And Scripture calls us to conduct ourselves and to act in a certain way because our flesh is weak. And if you aren't responding to what Scripture calls us to do because our flesh is weak, of course your faith will not work itself out. Of course your faith will not turn into action. These are the three causes. And if you look at your handout, you see that that kind of structures the rest of that handout. We spent months answering and examining these three things. So the first one that we looked at is the fact that perhaps your soul is lost. Turn over to the book of 1 John, turning to the right, just a a handful of pages. Hebrews, James, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. As we looked at this first cause, your soul is lost. Here's the truth that we saw. Followers of Jesus live like Jesus. Followers of Jesus live like Jesus. Now, they don't do that perfectly. Followers of Jesus are not perfect, but they do live like Jesus progressively. In other words, they become more and more like Jesus the longer they know him. So followers of Jesus live like Jesus, not perfectly, but progressively. Perhaps your soul is lost because a true follower of Jesus will live like Jesus. John tells us that in 1 John chapter 2, starting verse 3. By this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. If you don't see your faith working itself out, perhaps your soul is lost. Perhaps you don't know Jesus. If your faith isn't working, if you aren't keeping his commandments, if you look at your life and you see no evidence, then John would say conclusively, you don't know him. Because the way we know that we've come to know him is if we keep his commandments. The way we know that we've come to know him is if we live like Jesus. Progressively. That should give evidence to our faith. But if we aren't living like Jesus, then it should cause us to question, and it's a good thing to do, to question, am I in the faith? Do I know Jesus personally? Make the regular habit of examining that in your life. I know men and women who have for years thought that they were saved, and 10, 20, 30 years down the road, turned their back on God and came to the conclusion that they didn't have a saving faith in God ever. So examine yourself. Examine yourself regularly. Students, I, I, I have to examine myself. Your leaders have to examine themselves. All of your pastors have to examine themselves. Whenever they don't see their faith activated, a believer must examine themselves to, to see if their soul is lost. Let's jump to the second cause. Cause number two. Cause number two, your theology is incomplete. Perhaps if your faith is not working itself out into action, your theology is incomplete. Okay, so what you see on the screen are a couple of the errors of theology of sanctification. That is becoming more like Christ, being made more and more righteous. Some of the errors in theology 
That is namely these two issues, legalism and antinomianism. Legalism and antinomianism. Those two views are really big words that explain pretty simple concepts. They're errant views of God's grace and how it relates to our sanctification. Errant views of God's grace and how it relates to our sanctification. Okay? I'm going to throw a chart up on the screen. We looked at this earlier in our study that gives us a brief understanding of what legalism and antinomianism is. Legalism, on the one hand, ignores grace. Legalism says, be more holy, which is a biblical term. Legalism says, work harder. Legalism takes the grace of God and, and it ignores it. It says, you need to work more. You need to work harder. Strive better. Be gooder. Okay? Legalism emphasizes your works over God's grace. Antinomianism, on the other side, does the exact opposite. Antinomianism abuses God's grace. It says, you're free. It doesn't matter how you live. God, by his grace, has freed us, and so it's just all good. The, the term like let go and let God is indicative of antinomianism. You just sit back, relax. God's going to sanctify you. You do nothing. Okay, so legalism ignores grace. Antinomianism abuses grace. Both of those are errant views of how grace and sanctification work together. And so we found a middle ground that we called grace-motivated obedience. Grace-motivated obedience is, is the middle ground or perhaps better said, the, the, the correct view of how grace and sanctification work together. So while legalism ignores grace and antinomianism abuses grace, grace-motivated obedience embraces grace. Legalism says be holy. Antinomianism says you're free. You do whatever you want. Grace-motivated obedience says you're free to be holy. You're free, but you're free from the bondage of sin. You're free so that you can be holy. Legalism says work harder. Antinomianism says let go and let God. Grace-motivated obedience says strive, run, fight, work, but do it in his strength. That is the proper understanding of how God's grace and our obedience work together. We summarized it with this statement. A proper understanding of how these work together is that we are sanctified. We're made more like Christ by the Spirit of God, through the grace of God, as we obey God. See, so often it's easy to think, I'm going to obey God once he makes me more righteous. I'm going to obey once he starts to make me feel like I'm a righteous person and then it'll be easy to obey. No, no, no. Students, scripture calls us to obey and that he will sanctify us as we obey him. James 4 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, that doesn't mean our works are more important than his grace because we know in grace-motivated obedience, we could never obey apart from his grace. But even when we don't feel like it, and even when it's difficult, grace-motivated obedience says, I'm going to obey and trust God to sanctify me. I don't sanctify me, I just be faithful. And by his grace, he will make me more like Jesus. That is grace-motivated obedience. Now, we are covering in four minutes, what took us about two and a half hours to break down, and that wasn't enough time. 
So if you have a lot of questions about that or you missed any of that, again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to what we talked about that because there's some big terms here that are very prevalent in our lives. So keep your guard up because we tend to ignore or abuse God's grace. We tend to get the wires of sanctification crossed. We tend to have an incomplete theology of sanctification. And so I suggested to you all three steps to what we called uncrossing the wires of sanctification. Three steps to get this right. Number one, repent. Repent of your resistance to God's grace. Repent to the fact that you at times ignore his grace and at times abuse his grace. That, that, that we misunderstand what we're called to do. That we misapply the tools that we've been given. Number two, rely on God. Regularly ask God to strengthen you to obey. Lean on him and trust him in prayer. Regularly ask him, God, I'm not strong enough, but but I desire to obey you. Give me the strength and we know that he will. And third, and this was a whole sermon, this point, walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit which there's a fascinating tension in that statement. This is a wonderful middle ground of what grace-motivated obedience looks like. We're walking, right? There's action there, but we're walking by the Spirit. There's our effort and the grace of God and the Spirit of God working together as we walk by the Spirit. That's what Scripture calls us to do. Not to gratify the lusts of our flesh, but to walk by the Spirit, which produces the fruit of the Spirit in our life. That is what we're called to be. That is what we're called to do. These are both causes to examine when your faith doesn't work. We're going to spend the rest of our time then where we finish this study. And that is with a third cause, a third awareness that we know to be true. And that is that your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. We saw as we studied the armor of God... Six essentials. Six essentials that every one of us need in the fight against temptation. We reviewed these most recently, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. But what we saw Paul calling us to do is that because your flesh is weak, you must fight temptation. Because your flesh is weak, you must resist temptation. Because your flesh is weak, you must avoid temptation. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 says, disciples, you need to watch and you need to pray. You need to have your guard up lest you fall into temptation. If you remember that in Matthew chapter 26, we took two applications from that. One, we need to watch. We need to have our guard up. We need to have our defenses high. We need to see temptation coming. We need to avoid scenarios of temptation. We need to watch out for temptation. We also need to spend time in prayer that God would deliver us from temptation, that he would keep us far from temptation, that he would not lead us into temptation, and that he would give us the desire to resist temptation. Jesus calls us to watch and pray. Paul calls us to put on the armor. Six essentials. We need to eliminate hindrances with the truth. We need to guard our hearts with righteous living. We need to gain traction in the fight against temptation with an awareness of the gospel. We need to extinguish the threats of the enemy with faith, with confidence, with trust. 
We need to rest assured in the knowledge of salvation. And we need to fight temptation with the word of God. Now again, if you hear those and you have tons of questions, that was two sermons that we just covered in 45 seconds. So if you have questions, that's okay. You can talk to your leaders. You can go back and listen to sermons. But what I hope that we gather from this is that we look at the big picture and understand and renew our minds to the fact that faith works. Faith works. And if you find yourself in a position where you're questioning why your faith isn't working, then you need to look at these three things. Is your soul lost? The answer may be yes. And so repent and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ, God, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, and was killed on the cross for your sake that your sins will be forgiven. And so you believe the truth of the gospel and you turn, you repent, you give your life to Christ. But perhaps you examine that and you are saved. You're convinced that you're a child of God. And so then you correct your theology of sanctification. You make sure that you are in line with what scripture teaches. And for all of us, we're continually aware that what Jesus says is true. Your spirit may be willing, but your flesh is so weak. So watch for temptation. Pray for God's help. Put on the armor so that you can stand firm. Because if we cannot resist temptation, our faith will not work.